From Boca Raton, Florida, this is Behind the Bima. On this episode, the rabbis are joined by Rabbi Mark Wild, founder and director of Manhattan Jewish Experience. Rabbi Wild shares his thoughts on the state of Jewish outreach today, explains how he defines success in Kirov, and discusses the importance of getting more people involved in bringing others closer to Judaism. Also, catching up by the last few weeks, including a big mazel tov. All this and more, Behind the Bima. Good evening. It is Wednesday night, 9 p.m. I'm Rabbi from Gober, joined by my friend and colleague, Rabbi Josh Brody. Broid. Broid. We are here to take you... Behind the Bima. Behind the Bima. We have been off for a few weeks, and we are so glad and grateful to be back, to be back together, and to be back together with you, and to be bringing you a good friend and a great guest tonight. we got a great show, and uh, we're excited to be back behind the Bima. First of all, let's begin as we always do with our attitude of gratitude, thanking our generous sponsors, Marilyn Jeremy Strauss, in commemoration of the year of Mr. Michael Strauss, all of a shalom. Strausses have become very good friends. They're really uh, incredible people, visionaries, philanthropists, and uh, hard workers, great, great people, community-minded. And uh, tonight is also co-sponsored by another dear friend who had to do it. This pains me. You remember we had a guest recently who behaved much better than anyone anticipated. We had him on at the end of our marathon when it was the morning of Israel. Yeah. We had been on for like three and a half hours. We thought it was safe. It was like one o'clock in the morning in America. We figured it was safe and he behaved really well. We were proud of him. Anyway, he played tennis this week with someone and he won. Right. Seth Grossman defeated right. Yitzi Preter. And so uh, Preter had to sponsor tonight in honor of Seth Grossman's surprising <laughs> stamina on the tennis court, but uh, calling great. for a rematch. So, first of all, I love Seth. Do. You know, he's one of those guys which he's he's always there for you. And I got two great stories. First of all, I would not have had no, any no, 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 no. We're not. Gonna, I can't say that right now. I can't no, get we're to not, Seth Grossman. We are not making him ha- when he sponsors. We'll talk about him. <laughs> we're gonna get him to sponsor. I got and two great stories with Seth. You got to put him in the bank when Grossman sponsors. We'll talk about him. Okay. But tonight, actually, week. also I want to uh, bring to our audience. Uh, whether you're you're watching live now or later or listening, please take a moment, take out your phone and do something very significant and meaningful. Uh, not difficult for you, but making a big difference in someone else's life. Esti Moskowitz, our own Rabbi Moskowitz, Rabbi Moskowitz, their daughter, Esti, young girl, amazing, beautiful young girl. We know she's been suffering and struggling with illness and undergoing significant uh, treatment. And we began a campaign called the One in One Campaign, a dollar a day and a minute a day of learning, a dollar a day of stuck, a minute a day of learning. The dollar a day of stucca is in conjunction with our great friend, Dr. Donath uh, of Daily Giving. BRS are not recipients. It's not a ploy, God forbid, for us to take the money, get the money, raise money. It's a dollar a day. Daily Giving is an amazing project that uh, gives to a diversified portfolio of worthy stuckas around the world. Millions of dollars is giving away simply because people have signed up to give a dollar a day. People don't walk around with cash anymore. And you can't Venmo a dollar a day. So you sign up for daily giving and it enables you to essentially give a dollar a day and to part of a pool that's a diversified uh, daily giving. But don't go to directly to daily giving. Go to brsonline.org slash one, the number one, A-N-D-1. You can see it on the screen if you're watching. brsonline.org one and one. And uh, there you could sign up for the dollar a day of giving and it'll take you into a WhatsApp group where you'll get a minute a day of learning, 60 seconds, 60 seconds. It's not called a minute, but it's five minutes. It's one minute. One minute, rabbis around the world are each every day, every day until Esty's all better. And then we'll continue yeah. it because people will be learning. But we're not giving up. We're not slowing down. A dollar a day and a minute a day. Staka, 
Torah learning all in her schos and the merit as they should have a complete speedy and painless refuah shlema among all those who are ill. I got to tell you, I was a little skeptical about the dollar a day because I said, what, what a dollar at the end of the day, it's not really that much. And then all of a sudden I signed up and I get these daily emails. Yeah, it tells you where it's going. I love, not only does it tell you where it's going, but all of a sudden it says, because of you now, it's almost $10,000 that are being given out, $9,800, right. whatever it is. Right. I said, you know, my little dollar, I'm not a dollar. A I'm, like a, I'm like a macher. I'm giving away $10,000 yeah. and it's great organizations. Every day is another organization. I'm like, wow. It's great stuff. And yeah, and they're, they're, you know, I would call them a partner, but again, BRS is not on the list of recipients. We don't qualify and we understand that. Um, we're a local effort organization, even though we have global reach with behind the Bima right. and our Shiram. But we understand we're not a recipient, and that's what makes this even more uh, sincere and authentic is that it's not it's not for us. It's amazing. Uh, give Stucca, Dollar Dave Stucca, and uh, a minute a day. Go to brsonline.org slash one and one. So we've been off for a few weeks. We had pace. I don't think we've we've met since before Pesach. We had Coach Bruce Pearl. If you didn't listen to Coach Bruce Pearl, go back and listen. <laughs> he was amazing. He was really fantastic. Well, listen, so we've been off. Several things have been happening. We had Pesach and Lagba Omer and some other uh, interruptions. But we're back. We've got guests lined up. We are better than ever. And we're ready to bring to you some insight, inspiration, and to go behind the bima with us. I'll go behind the bima, about behind the I... bima for a minute. Should I? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, usually I'm the one that's traveling or something's going on because... And all of a sudden, one Wednesday night, someone's in Israel. Another Wednesday night, their daughter's getting engaged. Another Wednesday night, there's something else going on. Like Rabbi Goldberg, this guy, you can't keep up. <laughs> yeah. Mazel tov. Um, mazel tov. Well, thank you very much. Yes, my daughter, Leora, got engaged to Hillel Storch, the son of Rabbi Eli and Yaffa Storch. Mazel very, tov. very excited. It's a beautiful shidduch, and uh, she's an amazing girl. If we say so ourselves. He's a great boy. And we wish all those, He's all a very those tall who are looking boy. to get married. He's uh, almost 6'4". He, he definitely helps our basketball team. Very excited. You should see the picture I took with him. <laughs> he can barely see me in the picture. It's funny. You've got um, you've got our team now. He rounds us out. We've got you know me and Shai, Mikey and Kalev, yeah. and now and now Hillel rounds us up. We got our starting five, and we gained some height with our starting five. He brings up our average height, so we're really excited to have him. And we bless everybody who wants to be married, who have children who want to be married. Everybody should be blessed. There we <laughs> go. Thank you. Amazing. Yeah, we're excited. He's a big boy. That's great. Do the boys get along with each other? Is that part of the uh, fantastically? Yeah, yeah, they get along great. I tell you, this is—it's really amazing. I have six girls and a little boy. Now this, please God, is the third—the third wedding, and I realize it's incredible. I love my sons-in-law. Like I learn with them, I hang with them, I, I play sports with them. We have a great time and a great relationship. It's amazing. Someone else took the hard years, you know, raised these boys, put in the time, paid for the schooling. Someone you else get the finished product, time, and I get I get them like they're a mensch. I get yeah. them when there's someone you want to hang out with. I get right. them when they're ready to rock and roll and ready to go. So it, it's amazing. Yeah, everyone again should be blessed. Who's waiting? They, who's uh, longing? Who's looking? Are all the boys different from one another? Do they have different personalities, or they're pretty uh, very similar? different personalities? The girls have different personalities, but they have right. a, more in common than they have that separates them. You know, all three are real bene Torah. They love learning, but they're also chill and they get it. And um, you know they understand family. They understand Klal Yisrael. They understand, they're, they're they're great. They're all bring great. three boys on so far. Bring them on one day. Believe I her. Maybe it'd be interesting. They could talk about being a son-in-law of a rabbi, being a son-in-law, exactly. and being a son-in-law of a rabbi. Bring Jake also. We'll bring, bring on Jake. That'd be great. Bring on Jake. So yeah. yeah, that's exciting, and we're grateful. And sort of turning around the wedding in some some record time. They got right. engaged. Uh, 
when did they get engaged a couple weeks ago and the wedding is is june 22nd so basically well, I mean, uh, like i, I think you said it's either you you can you can uh, stress about it for a month or you can stress about it for a year what's the big, big well deal, here's right? here's my theory and then we'll move on because not everybody wants to hear this or talk about this but my theory is the following when it comes to simchas it takes however long you give yourself to prepare a simcha right there are people let's call it the secular world who plan a wedding three years from then and so for the next three years their life is consumed with planning that wedding right and then if you give yourself six weeks so you bang out the prep for the wedding in six weeks you know what do you got to do you got to line up your your hall your caterer got to get your music your flowers you got to get apparently your gowns that's not something i worry about what, what do you so have to get you, you, you need get, anything you could, a new tie saying, you could do it in three days right atara my second daughter we planned the whole wedding in florida and then because of corona we pivoted <laughs> and we moved the wedding to new york and just had to replan the wedding in new york last minute it takes however long you give yourself so that, that was my argument to my wife I said they could get married, you know, August, September, and there's there's merit and value to a, a longer engagement. But basically, that just means you spend the entire summer being tortured and torturing me. Right. Or we could make the push and it'll be a lot more work on the front end, but then we'll have a married couple, we'll have a great summer with them. A lot, a lot of fun, a, they'll be married and we'll be ready to go. You, you can have a summer vacation. Yeah. <laughs> right. So anyway, that's the uh, that's a great. Right. What um what's going on with you? Anything new to report? Oh my god. Well, first of all, that was just one week, and then yet another week you're traveling to Israel. You have some big, big things going on right now with the Yeshiva South Florida, big announcements. Yeah, we did some recruiting. We went to Israel. I went for three days, uh, hit 13 yeshivas in three days. So it was a pretty exhausting trip. Not really out of my comfort zone, to tell you the truth. I'm a I'm a shul rav guy, I'm a shul rabbi, and I, I don't represent yeshiva. I haven't done recruiting, I don't rotate and go speak. I haven't done this circuit before, a little right. out of my comfort zone. And I get nervous. I get nervous when I'm out of my comfort zone. You know, I don't get nervous getting up, giving a drush or a parsha shir or speaking at a funeral or, or even under a chuppah today because those are all in my comfort zone. You've done it so many times, you gain a, a level of comfort with it. But standing up at a yeshiva was right. out of my comfort zone. But I quickly got the hang of it because it was so many in such a short time and had a great reception, great reaction, great list of guys who are registered, uh, many more who are still in serious conversation exploring. So some great response to that, and that was um, that was a great trip. Any was, any, uh, any 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 uh, excited because of behind the bema and did that, did that play into anyone's? Yeah, for uh... sure, absolutely. <laughs> Everywhere I go, I'll tell you something funny. It wasn't on this trip. It was. Like I wasn't thinking about it, but I watched behind the bema, so now I'm considering it. You know, my yeah, you know, let's just say you walk through certain neighborhoods, or maybe the largest yeshiva in Israel or in the world. And and guys stop and go. Oh, I love behind the bima. Like they're, <laughs> you're like really. It's it's a fascinating. I didn't know you had the internet. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's right. a very interesting um, group that attracted to or listened to behind the bima, which really takes us behind the bima about behind the bima, because you know we took off these weeks. There was conflicts, and then the question was, do we go back? Was it a fun ride? Do you go out when you're feeling good about it, or do you get back to the grind of you know the guests and making the time and and uh and so on and uh we debated you know we're down one of our hosts who is focused understandably and correctly with his family top priority for anybody so you know maybe it was time to, to hang him up maybe time to take a break the truth is when we began this um there were other people in this space but you know we, we filled that space pretty well during corona people were locked down quarantined at home distant disconnected bored so they knew wednesday nights nine o'clock if you want, you could pour a glass of wine or beer or a tall cup of seltzer, and uh, you could listen to three rabbis kibitz about nothing and, and have a guest on. But now, 
I feel like everybody's doing this podcast. They just have different names for it. But the podcast where you interview people, that's like everybody's doing it. Right. So do we need to? Maybe we should pivot and do something different. Maybe, Maybe. we should focus on what we're doing. Maybe there are other priorities in the community or other other ambitions that we want to achieve. So we had a big, big discussion about we went, you know, so behind the Bima and behind the Bima is that we're not sure how long to do behind the Bima. What the future should be of behind the Bima because you know, we enjoy it. We enjoy the guests. But um, but then, you know, our guest tonight, I think this conversation gets us going and got us excited again of of the conversations we're why having, we do and it. the difference we're right. trying to make and why we're doing it and the feedback we get from it. So it's pretty exciting. We're going to stick with it. Stick with it. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep going. I just like it. So I get to talk to you. It's just a fun opportunity for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we are, um, yeah, we're having a good time with it. Esther Tilabas Ariel Tsipora. For those who want to daven for her, Esther. Esther Tilabas Ariel Tsipora. Among all those who are ill, we long for their uh, healing. I'll tell you one other thing that happened uh, during this time off, and then we'll bring on our good friend, Rabbi with 1B, Mark Wilds. You know, our, our, our professional who helps us with these overlays. Um, is enduring a pinched nerve. Oh, yeah. I think the medicine that he's on, <laughs> we've had some misspellings recently. I think, I think that's rabbi in like Spanish or something. But it gets, yeah, we, we, we give him a break. <laughs> We're cutting him some slack. What's the big deal? You misspelled the word rabbi. It's right. not a big deal. But anyway, I came back and one of the things I did was NCSY summer programs. And see, how many kids do you think NCSY is bringing in NCSY summer programs? I used, to, I used to I used to run the uh, TJJ program, you know, back yeah, in the day. I remember that, right? So how how many? How I would many say today, I'm going to say 2,500, 2,400. They're they're 2,500 approximately. Yeah, that's a huge, huge number. It's huge. There's so no one else do doing a, that. They do a staff retreat, a staff Shabbos, with all their madrichim, all of their staff, counselors, program managers, everybody. Um, so you and I went to the staff Shabbaton, over 600 young people in a room. And the energy, Rabbi Brody, was unreal. Amazing, right? The energy, the enthusiasm. And I, I really felt so inspired, not just by the beautiful davening and the zmiros and the energy, but talking to these young people. Because in that room were young people in a world which is all about pursuing your happiness, your pleasure, what you want to do, what makes you happy, what's in it for me. These young people are taking achrayas. They're taking responsibility for the continuity of the Jewish people. And most they're of them running like, buses. They're, they're not getting paid. Right? They're running chesed. They don't get paid. They're not they getting paid. Get paid. Right. No, no, they don't get paid. And right. the truth is, you know, it wasn't just in that room where that energy and that commitment and that devotion and that selflessness and to be among young people taking responsibility for the Jewish people, right. taking responsibility for Jewish continuity. The whole theme of the weekend was just over and over again. Now, this has to be not only the best summer ever, but the most transformative summer ever. And what are you going to do? And how are you going to stay in touch with your campers? How are you going to inspire them? How are you going to uplift them? How are you going to speak to them on their level? What's your goal for them? How do you right. measure success for them? You know, camp counselors in any camp are amazing and selfless. Often they do it because they're paid. And, and you know, the, in many settings, the measure is, did they have fun? And the truth is, you know, in all the Jewish camps, there's a lot of growth that goes on, not only NCSY summer programs. So I want to give props and praise to counselors and leaders in every summer program where are using it as a platform to inspire. But there was right. something special about this. Over 600 young people taking a Christ responsibility for the Jewish future, for Jewish continuity, for public school Jewish children, right. and for learning of all level, and for all backgrounds, and for special needs, and for sports, and for every type of, of summer program. But they also share the same goal, which is inspiring. And then you and I were at an event on Sunday night here in Boca, 
first ever an annual um, event for Hask. And again, you see that video and, and Hask and the counselors taking Achrayis, responsibility, selflessness, right. putting others before yourself. You have, did, did, did Ayala work at Hask? Ayala met Jake in Hask. Ayala met Jake. That's how I knew great. he was a great guy. Just, you right. know, any guy that's working in Hask has got to be a great guy. That's right. And that's right. what I said that night, is that Hask right. is producing the best husbands and wives and mothers and fathers. Right. Anyway, I was very inspired to be around these young and, people. And, and, because... just, and, and just so you know, Simone reminded me that Yochevet and her, Yochevet apparently sent her a picture when they were both color war captains. Right. With... I, asked her, I asked her who won. She didn't say. Oh, she, you might not have been there, but... The other color, the co, the co yeah, I heard. captain I heard about spoke that night. <laughs> he did. <laughs> past guest on Behind the Bima. That's right. And he mentioned being a color work captain. He spoke magnificently. Yeah. Rabbi Gibber told his story of being a public school kid from Pittsburgh and finding his Judaism in Camp Ask. And I was crying really, really bad. We got to bring him back on Behind the Bima I know, to tell that it. story it's because one of these other story. podcasts are going to swallow him up. So we got a great guest tonight, Rabbi Mark Wilds. Our, uh, really, he's a, a real friend, a longtime friend. Uh, Rabbi Wilds um, actually went to law school and practiced law before he pivoted into outreach. And he'll we'll ask him about that and learn more about his personal story. He's written two books that are very popular. He's a great speaker. He uh, describes himself as the millennials rabbi running the Manhattan Jewish Experience, otherwise known affectionately as MJE, Manhattan not, Jewish Experience. Not to be confused with the Boca Raton Jewish Experience. <laughs> Correct. MJE, Manhattan Jewish Experience, lighting Manhattan on fire, doing amazing outreach and, and really change that you can measure doing really, really great things. And it's a long time coming. We've been talking and we're happy to finally get him on. So this is a conversation worth listening to and, and we think worth sharing with others because we hope it, it'll um, challenge all of us right. about our role in outreach and in reach and, and why it matters and the difference we can all be making. So without any further ado, Rabbi Mark Wilds. We are joined behind the beam, uh, frankly, long overdue by our good friend. We actually are good friends, not just saying good friends. Rabbi Mark Wilds, the founder, the director of MJE, the Manhattan Jewish Experience, lighting Manhattan and the tri-state area on fire with a love of all Jews, changing lives, doing great things. One of those good-looking rabbis who still has his hair uh, flowing <laughs> and blonde, <laughs> source of envy. You'll have to tell us the secret one of these days. Rabbi Wilds, thank you for joining us. Um, my hair and I are very excited to be here. Thank you for having me. <laughs> we are excited to go behind the view and learn more about not only your life, but to talk about subject that's really important. Um, we're honored. Rabbi Brody is the outreach rabbi at the Boca Raton Synagogue. We don't know how many uh, Orthodox shuls actually have in their budget or on their staff designated outreach rabbis uh, who are concerned and care about and connect with and engage the entire community. It's a great point of pride of our community. And a lot of what he's done, what we do, is inspired by your work at MJE, BJE, BRJE. In, in, you know. Including the name. We said when we're, yeah, picking out a, when we're picking out a name, we're like, well, what should we call this outreach program? So, we, you know, look look at the best. Man, and Jewish so, experience. Talk to I us how you got, how'd you get involved in outreach? When, when you were well, growing uh, up, did uh, you see yourself before, there? Before I do that, just a legal matter to get out of the way. We will have our <laughs> attorneys calling you because of trademark issues. But I guess flattery is the best form. What, no, what is it? Imitation, best form of flattery. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Manhattan Jewish experience. And I want to just say something else, Rabbi Goldberg. This is such a zuchus and honor and Rabbi Broid to be here with both of you. I consider you both friends and colleagues, and I tremendously, tremendously respect you both for the amazing, amazing work you're doing. Um, I have I so much that. to say, and um, I just blanked. You asked, what, what was your question? 
So let, let's start with this. Actually, we're going to come back to how you got into outreach. Your brother became a mayor of politics. You went into outreach. You know, your dad was uh, high profile, uh, represented some some famous people. There's a lot to talk to you about. But let's fast forward. Let's begin actually at the end with where we're at. You've mm-hmm. dedicated your life, not necessarily always on that trajectory, but you've dedicated your life right now and your family make great sacrifices. They're most are nefesh. You work hard because you care about the Jewish people. You're doing outreach. Are you moving the needle? Are you making a difference? Assimilation, intermarriage rates skyrocketing. 70% of non-Orthodox are intermarrying. They're leaving the faith. Assimilation, record highs. So with all the incredible work MJE and countless other outreach organizations are doing, are, are we losing this, this war, this battle? Are we moving the needle? Are we making headway? And, and therefore, should we re-examine the resources we have, where they should be directed? What's the state of, ortho, of outreach today? Okay, so the answer is yes and no. It's a great question because if you just look objectively at the numbers, 71% of our Jewish brothers and sisters outside of the Orthodox community are intermarrying. And has what dent has MGE made in that? Well, somewhat of a dent. We've got 377 couples who have met and married through MGE. But here's the way you need to look at it. And we got to look at our Jewish brothers and sisters from Chabad for a little inspiration. Because if you just look at the objective numbers, you're going to go out of business. Nobody can look at those numbers and be happy. But you turn on one Jew to Yiddishkeit, and I know this sounds very idealistic, but this is the Amis. You turn one Jew on to Yiddishkeit, and they choose to raise their children by sending them to Jewish day school and living a life of Torah and mitzvot. What you've done is you've changed the trajectory for the, for the future for that family and for tens and dozens of others to follow. You, we got to look. They say you can and analyze, you know, success of continuity, not by one, but by two generations. So right now, MJ is 23 years old. We've got a lot of our students ha- having their children's bar bat mitzvahs now. I just came back from Teaneck for Rabbi Shalom Baums, our good friend, Rabbi Baums, who has gone residency. I brought 30 MGEers. You know who hosted those 30 MGEers? The 11 MGE families who became Bali Truva moved to Teaneck and are living there now. Beautiful. And guess what? Each one of them has two to five kids each. They're all sending them to the Jewish day schools. And that's just going to continue to build and grow and build and grow. So on one hand, yeah, the numbers, I can't argue with the numbers. But at the other, on the other hand, one Jew, I, and I don't know how anyone can, can just say, oh, the numbers throw our arms up. Let's just make Aliyah and forget about the 80% of American Jews that are unaffiliated or whatever the not crazy number is. When, when you meet one of those Jews and you see how a life of Torah and mitzvot is so inspirational, not only to them, but to us too. How could you turn your back on that? Yeah, I agree with you. And I, I definitely, um, your work is incredibly inspiring and effective, right? You, you just mentioned some metrics and we see its success. And the Lubavitcher Rebbe felt when asked, you know, how many Jews need to live somewhere for him to send the shliach? His answer was one. If one of your children lived somewhere and needed help, would you not travel for that one child to bring them back? And, and I'm reminded of that famous rabbinic story of the, of the jellyfish, the boy walking along the beach, and there's millions of jellyfish he's throwing in the ocean. The old cynical man says, you know, what are you doing? Don't you see how many there are? Do you really think it's making a difference? And he picks one up, throws it in the water, and says, it made a difference to that one. So you're right. It makes a difference to that one. But I'll ask you again. And, and, and if you don't mind, and the jellyfish's progeny, children right, and grandchildren. Right. Great. So what's the cost? So again, I, I agree with you. I'm just playing devil's advocate for a moment, right? The businessman in me says, what's yeah. the cost of capturing that one jellyfish and their progeny? So if we look at 
how much does MJE, how many do all the outreach organizations combined? What are the salaries? What are the costs? What are the resources going in? And therefore, essentially, how much are we spending for that Jewish marriage, that Jewish balchuva, for that Jewish continuity? And is that a conscious choice? If we knew that to take a Jew who's not connected and the investment to make them feel connected, and we'll talk in a moment about how we measure success, what is the definition of success, is 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 the is the amount any amount would we say five million dollars whatever it takes to, to bring one right. jew back how do we how do we look at the finances of outreach i i wish i had a simple clear it's an excellent excellent question um we do spend a lot it's a herculean feat to take it's not as though we're taking a jew and transforming them they have to make that decision themselves they're invested with free will but the amount of money that it costs to take somebody from a ostensibly secular Jewish existence or lack of Jewish um, tradition, education, and bring them into our community where they feel comfortable enough to live this kind of life and pass it on to the next generation is very expensive. I don't have an exact number from you, but it's a lot of money. Is it any more money than we're spending on our own children? That's what I'll say. Mm-hmm. Because what do we spend per capita on each of our children it's about four or five hundred thousand when you finish jewish day school 10 years a year in eretz israel two years in israel ncsy kolel now they're on a college campus and we got to get the jlesc rabbi to pay attention to them okay take all those numbers we are not spending per unaffiliated or less affiliated jews any more money than we would spend on our own children and they are no different than our children they are just as much of our brothers great answer that is, a, that is a great answer. It is a great answer. So how do you define, and, I'm, and Rabbi Brody, I want you to join in on this also because you're also involved in outreach. I'll ask both of you, and we'll see if you have the, have the same answer. But we'll start with you, Rabbi Watts. How do you define success in outreach? What is a successful outcome? That's a great question. And I'm curious, Rabbi Brody's uh, response, because I've, I've struggled with this over the years. On one hand, I'm not satisfied with the Lubavitch definition, which is get a Jew to keep a mitzvah, you're good to go. And by the way, there's a lot of support in Kabbalah and Hasidus. If you learn Tanya, I understand why they say this. It's not a concession to a reality, to a difficult reality. They believe it metaphysically. You get a Jew to connect with the Kodesh Baruch Hu through performance of mitzvot. That's it. That's not good enough for me. On the other hand, if you were to define your success only in terms of Shmira Shabbos, Kashras, Tzfilin, Tzitzis, Mezuzah, you know, I think it depends on the Jew. Because there are some Jews who I've met who could really be become Talmud HaChachamim. And they could be not only donning tefillin every day and davening three times a day, but they could be a posik. They could be a, a um, just a, an unbelievable learned Jew. And we, Baruch Hashem, had such successes in MGE. Then there are others who you meet, and it just doesn't seem like they're ever going to become religious. I know that doesn't sound like a very nice thing. We never, we never give up hope. But for that Jew, I want to keep him involved. I want to take intermarriage off the table. And you know, in New York City, most young Jewish professionals date casually, deliberately, intentionally, Jews, non-Jews. It's not even an issue. We have to make it an issue. And by the way, you can make it an issue without, without having to make them observe it. Okay, just if you create a social milieu around them of Jews and you demonstrate why perpetuating Judaism, even if it's not halachic Judaism, is important, we can get a whole generation to stop dating outside of the faith because people look at interdating as racist. 
what we're better. That's the, we have never we've never made the point of why it's worth it to be Jewish. If a person doesn't believe it's worth it to be Jewish, then why do I have to marry Jewish to ensure that my children will be Jewish? There's right. only one way to ensure or to combat intermarriage, and that's to make a case for Judaism. And and therefore, to answer your question, a success would depend on the Jew. For some people, nothing short of Torah mitzvos and becoming a Talmud Chacham, and for others, marrying Jewish. So Rabbi Josh, what would you say? Yeah, so I, it's funny. I, I definitely started over there. Um, you know, when we first began, when when Rabbi Goldberg was still in the Kolel and, and we were making this transition into the outreach world, that was definitely the model, you know, working through Aish and whatever I'd learned, learned from them and NJOP and all these other local uh, or call it North American outreach organizations. It was kind of find, find the, the Jew and, and, and then try and make them might make them uh, as orthodox or, or committed in, as you can. But I also realize that we're living in Boca Raton, which didn't have and doesn't have the same Jewish outreach infrastructure that you have in the Northeast, where there's so many, many uh, organizations that are working. And other than Chabad right now, this, this pretty much, that's pretty much it in, in the local community. We don't have an Aish in our community. We don't have an Orsameach, and we don't have Enjop. We don't have any of these things. Mm-hmm. But what we do have, we have a lot of great, great, shuls and communities and figuring out a way maybe where we can create a campaign that activates those people to connect with the people that we're trying to connect them with and maybe there's that synergy something we were talking about before the show Mm -hmm. where we can kind of leverage the great things that are taking place in our community and introduce those things to people and help them connect with things that are meaningful to them so is it just a mitzvah maybe is it more maybe it could be anything but, you know, they're called the one man or woman show can't really do much more than be the intermediary between the people we're looking to attract. And we know where they are because Boca is 50 percent Jewish. Half the community is Jewish. Hundred and now probably 60,000 Jews, 110,000 unaffiliated. It's, the numbers are crazy. But we don't have the outreach infrastructure, but we do have the Jewish infrastructure. Totally. Find and, people and, and connect. And, and, and you know what you have, if you don't want me jumping in, you have the greatest asset and commodity. And that is you have incredible, right. besides Rabbi Goldberg, <laughs> you have incredible, you have incredible Balabatim. I know tons yeah. of people who, and the greatest, Rabbi Riskin, my teacher said, you know, for the price of a chicken, you can save a Jew. It's the greatest truism in the world because you don't need a fancy schmancy outreach program with outreach professionals and all this stuff. What you need are Jewish families that invite others to their Shabbos table and care enough to make some room at the table. Yeah, and they care enough to respond to the to the unaffiliated Jew or the intimidated, inhibited Jew who bagels them, who says, oi, online at Publix, to turn around and say, hi, this is my name, what's your name? And, and to realize the number one reason people don't come is because they weren't invited. You know, you think if you invite them, they're going to lash out at you about their feelings about Judaism or orthodoxy, but they won't. They'd love the invitation if they'd come. But Rabbi Wilds, I want to go back to something that you said in terms of mm-hmm. one of the definitions of success or a bar is and I agree with you, combating uh, intermarriage. What's the argument against intermarriage? You're in Manhattan, you're in the hub of it all, you're in like ground zero for this. And I don't even know, I, you know, I've struggled. I, I, I once begged Lord, Lord Sachs, whose whole life in some ways was composing the argument, you know, his books and his talks and his speeches, he was, he was extraordinary. But on the other hand, unless I don't know that he explicitly ever wrote or gave us the manual, gave us the talking points, that when you meet the young person, college campus, young professional, which is your target, 
And they say, look, I fall in love. And the other, I just had this conversation Sunday with the mother of a girl who fell in love with a non-Jewish boy. And the mother says, I'm devastated, I'm broken, but I'm not losing my daughter over it. She knows I'm disappointed. She knows I'm upset, but it kind of is what it is at this point. At least her kids will be Jewish. So you tell that young lady, she met a man and he'd make an amazing husband. He'd make a fantastic father. She sees in him everything she's looking for. You now have half an hour of her time. You have her ear. What's your argument for why it's important not to go through with this? For why it's critical to marry a Jew? Well, I will tell you that um, it's a great question. Um, very little way of very unlikely to convince someone who's already in love. What we have to do is we have to get to people. That's why we focus on 20s and 30s. We have to get to people before they start dating to realize how valuable being Jewish is and therefore why it's worth perpetuating. That's the argument for marrying Jewish is that we want Jewish kids because we want more people living this kind of life. If you don't believe in that kind of lifestyle, I'm not sure what kind of argument you can make. The mm -hmm. only thing you can do is the following. I'll tell you a story. When my oldest son, who's behind her now 25, was born and it was Lenox Hospitals looking through the glass plate there. Uh, all these cute little babies swaddled up, looked like the United Nations, I remember. And I was looking, looking at my baby. And there's another guy around the same age as me looking at his kid. And he starts becoming visibly emotional until he just starts all out crying. And he was standing right next to me and he starts repeating, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. And I, you know, I saw my yarmulke and I was like, what's the matter? You can't believe what? I can't believe my wife wants our baby to be christened. I said, what's going on? He says, I'm Jewish. My wife isn't. We made a deal. We said when we had a kid, we would, met, we would raise him Jewish. We were just in the room together and she became so emotional. And she, all she wants to do is baptize our son. And he literally was crying on my shoulder. You know, you don't hit a guy when he's down. Like, dude, what were you thinking? But I do share this story with people because even if you're not bought in now to Judaism, and I've said this to people dating, you do not know what you're going to feel when that first kid comes along. And you start wondering, or God forbid somebody dies in the family, and all of a sudden you're saying Kaddish and you're wondering, why am I here? What am I leaving this world? Is there any kind of Jewish legacy I'm leaving? And you realize, right? So that, that resonates with some people. It's an emotional argument. But you never know, because right now I'm in love with this girl, but in 10 years, you might be in love with something else. And it's going to be too late if you don't marry Jewish or at least consider a, a conversion, an Orthodox conversion. And but it's but I think we've lost the battle at that point with most of them. We have to get to people when they're younger. That's why most cure of organizations focus on college 20s, 30s, because we got to get to them before they start dating. That, that's an interesting strategy. I hadn't thought about it in that way. You know, I I, um, I have the privilege of learning with a previous guest of Behind the Bima, and uh, we were talking about Shavuos uh, coming up, and, uh, you know, we have rigorous, robust uh, conversations and debates, a prominent individual, and we were talking about the notion of identity, Jewish identity, and in a certain degree, the identity politics and this emphasis in our time and generation on identity, what defines your identity? Is it your attraction? Is it how you feel? Is it biology? It opens the door for us to have those conversations about yeah. what is Jewish identity and where does Jewish identity rank in the hierarchy? Because really what, what, what Shavuos, what Matan Torah, what Torah is telling us to do 
and and he shared with me that you know his interpretation of Akedas Yitzchak, the binding of Isaac, is that even in our competing identity as a parent and as a servant of God, in our hierarchy of identities, my identity as a loyal Jew or as a loyal to God has to be the overarching supreme identity that supersedes even an identity as a parent. That's the message of Akedas Yitzchak, a tough message, a difficult one. Wow. But basically, we never want to sacrifice. You know, we don't want to rank or create the hierarchy or priorities of our identities. But maybe there's a there's a conversation opportunity there in a world that's focused on talking about identity. What is your identity? What determines your identity? How do you define identity? Identity politics, intersectionality of identity. Yeah. What is your Jewish identity? Where does that fit in? Where does it come from? What does it mean to you? Where does it rank in conflicts? Are you willing to are you willing to walk away from it? So you answered one of our other questions, which was, what do you think is the best age to engage when it comes to when it comes to outreach? Um, you know, is it is it middle school, high school? You got NCSY working yeah. at that age. Um, what are the advantages or disadvantages of that? You're saying 20s and 30s at college or maybe on college campus, you're partying or you're or you're, right. you're distracted by so much more. How did MJE land on the target that it has? So first of all, all those ages are important because I, I started out with NCSY and I'm sure Robert Broad, you've been involved in both of you in helping to Macarva high school kid and it happens. And it happens on college campus and it happens 20s, 30s. I just think we got to get to them in enough time before they start choosing their mate. Um, but everybody is different because some people wake up earlier, some people need to, so Rabbi Buchwald likes to say that people avenge up, they, I'll wait for them to sober up after college and come back to New York and get a job. And then I'll run after them a little. I can't deal with them on college campus. Other people think that the age we're dealing with, 23 to 36, is too old. Too much of the, uh, you know, of the brain has been developed. We need to get to them while they're still, you know, developing. It really depends on the person. Everybody is different. I hate turning away people in their 40s and 50s because there are Bali Chuva. I don't know if you've heard of this, Rabbi Akiva. But there are people who are 40 years old and up who also become religious, but again, we're trying to deal with the continuity issue. So I'm trying to hit them younger. I think I love twenties and thirties. I love this cohort because they're a little more serious than on college campus. They're well-educated and they're a lot of them are aware enough to realize that the dichotomy between their secular education and their Jewish education is ridiculous. Like every I'm teaching a whole bunch of classes tonight. If I say in my class, is anyone in this room that doesn't have at least a master's degree, at least a master's degree in some area? Okay, we've got Harvard, Yale, Princeton sitting in the room with a third grade understanding of God and Judaism. And, and I think people in their 20s are starting to, when they start hearing sophisticated Torah ideas, they're like, oh, I didn't realize that, you know. And this is something I heard from my rover, like Grimblad Sechon who years ago said, it's the greatest Chil Hashem that Judaism should appear so infantile and so um, undeveloped and so unsophisticated. This is one of the reasons he was a big advocate of women education that when, as he, he argued that as women become more in the world, knowledgeable, get masters, doctorates and so on and so forth, if their knowledge level is left at a third grade, then what is gonna, what's gonna, where are our children gonna be? What, what's their impression of, so I just think there's there's an element of Kirov that has to be concerned with the dignity of Torah and the way Torah is perceived by the majority of our people. And and it's it's a busha of how, of, of unfortunately, you know, 
the, the level of knowledge and, and the 20s, 30s cohort to me just does it for me on a personal level. That's great. Uh, Brody. Yeah. So, so first of all, I, I was wondering about the profile of someone that does work like this, the work that you do, the work that I've, I've begun to do following you. I did some research. I happened to see that you're also a drummer and uh, that's great. I mean, I, I, maybe there's something with drums and outreach. I also <laughs> saw that your wife got you the most incredible birthday present one year. How do you know? Oh, I'm talking about, I don't know which, I mean, maybe she got you a lot, but I'm talking about the Liberty, Liberty, little uh, Liberty uh, lesson over there. Do you know what the other birthday present was? No, I don't want to, I'm so jealous. So first of all, right, Liberty DeVito came for my 50th. That was amazing. Billy Joel's drummer for 30 years. I was about to say, do I embarrass myself by saying, who's that? Oh, you don't know Liberty DeVito? I know Billy Joel. I could sing most of the well, songs, but I don't know Liberty um, DeVito. Liberty DeVito. You're like Liberty. Whole... I, you know what I thought? I thought she bought you like a policy. Liberty, Liberty, uh, Liberty. Liberty Mutual. <laughs> I was like, wow, she bought you a policy for your birthday. That's, That's really romantic. Helpful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, the, uh, the birthday present, I I wouldn't say I purchased, but we, we got for my wife was an hour sheer from Rabbi Goldberg, Rabbi Ephraim Goldberg. Really? Yeah, my wow. wife is a huge that I did not fanatic. Know fan of Rabbi Goldberg. Our, his Torah is all over our home and uh, it's whatever. So that's what I thought you were okay, referring good. to. But anyway, go on. I cut but, you off. So, so now you can uh, drop the lawsuit, right? Against <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. The, now the question that I'm just wondering, you know, there's not a lot of guys out there that are coming from, call it the more modern world that are doing outreach. I remember right. getting a phone call a couple of months ago from a, from a parent saying, you know, my kid is in one of the local yeshivas and and can you speak to them about one of the one of the, the challenges that they're going through? And they said, they said, you know, and I said, for, for whatever reason, I said, you know, I'm dealing with all the outreach stuff. This is, you know, call it an inreach thing. This is, you know, you're, you're already your kids plugged in. Why can't you go and speak to the 30 rabbis that are working right now in the schools and in the in the community that are actually they're hired to do that? I'm not. I'm hired to work on the outside. There's only one, only one of me. Why do you think it is that in our world, a world which I think can actually be a lot more successful than some of the other worlds for just a number of reasons, right? Because we're, we're kind of in the world. We kind of look like the average guy. Maybe we could be more successful, but there's not a lot of guys going into it. No, they're not. It's a, a very astute observation. And when I, when I go, I used to be very involved with AJOP, which is the Association for Jewish Outreach Professionals. Not that everyone in the YU world wears, you know, one of these surgeries, but I'm like a, an anomaly, you know? Um, there's just very few YU trained, you know, modern Orthodox. We just, we don't, I mean, I have a couple of ideas. Um, there is a lack of prestige associated with this kind of work. I think people pay homage to it and respect the people who do it, but don't look at it as a terribly sophisticated kind of thing to be involved in. You know, that's kind of like what you do for a couple of years in NCSY, and then you grow up out of it and you get a Steller or you become a Rebbe in a Jewish day school, but to like run after young people who are not affiliated, it just seems like a, not a terribly dignified kind of lifestyle. I'll tell you the other more practical reason, you know, we eat what we hunt. Right. And who wants that? There's a lack of stability in the Kirov world. Uh, you know, the jobs don't come with homes and big salaries. Um, but I do want to say this, and I know you have a lot of people listening. So there is some money for young rabbis to make, you know, in outreach. It's not a ton of money, but, um, and I think fundraising is a very, very important malacha to learn. Um, and I think it's, you know, um, 
I'll just make a quick plug also. I'll come back to your question. Do you know how much money is out there? Like philanthropic dollars that we are not tapping into? And I don't just mean orthodoxy. I mean Jews that is going to museums and hospitals, wonderful causes, but not Jewish institutions because they're not engaged Jewishly. Okay, okay. if somebody would just, going back to Rabbi Goldberg, your question before, if we were to think you know, philanthropically a little more strategically, we would realize that we should be more invested because there's tons of money out there that is untapped. But getting back to your question, Robert Royd, I think we need to rebrand Kirov because the best and the brightest, no offense to you or me, okay, I'll put you in the same category with me, the best and the brightest are not going into this. They're becoming Rabbi Ephraim Goldberg's. Rabbis of wonderful, and that's amazing, and we need them because, you know, we wouldn't have the infrastructure. You wouldn't have your gig, and I wouldn't have people to run after, and everything, uh, you know, my 30 people being, you know, integrated into Teaneck and into Great Neck and into Boca, and into, we wouldn't have anything then. But we need more, in my opinion, I don't know what the term is, people don't love this term, Rabbi Goldberg, I've heard you speak about this also, for the lack of a better term, modern Orthodox centrist types of Rabbanim going into this work. Because our Torah Umada, our belief in Torah Umada is incredibly attractive. And we're not just doing it for the sake of a Parnasa or to be impressive to other people. But if you follow, let's say, Rav Aaron Lichtenstein's Zechatzak Levracha, you know, about in, in English literature or Rabbi Tendler's Zechatzak Levracha in biology and finding the beauty in Mada and, and that is informing your relationship with the Kaddish Baruch Hu, Lechatchila, religious Zionism. These are attractive aspects to our community that don't exist as much or at all in the Haredi world. And yet they are the ones on the forefront. And, and by the way, God bless them because they're doing, they are lifting, they, they are doing the heavy lifting. Okay. And those you, are my you hit on something very important. You know, you hit on something important, which, you know, the term I would use is Mesiris Nefesh. You have to be Moser Nefesh. It requires tremendous sacrifice, a willingness to sacrifice because the other career paths, you both reference this, the other career paths are laid out before you, right? You become a teacher, you become an administrator, you can try to climb, become a head of school, you become an assistant, a rabbinic intern, an assistant rabbi, you become the rabbi, but you want to go into outreach. You, you basically have the, the burden of every Chabad, which is like you said, you, you eat what you kill. Like there's no Figure board, no budget. Right. There's no revenue that comes in. There's no automatic, you know, you're, you're always in raising money phase. Yeah. You're always in that right. approach. And I think for a lot of people, they have the talent of the charisma. They would step in if somebody else is doing that work to create the infrastructure and enable them to thrive with their talents. But a lot of people are scared and not only they're scared, they've yeah. heard from their parents. Like you need to have a real job. You need to have a real salary. You need to have real benefits. You need to have something real, you know, what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to go to some undeveloped area of Jewish life and beg people for money to pay for my salary so I could turn them on to Judaism. Like yeah. that scares a lot of parents. It scares a lot of young people. And, yeah. and they say, I mean, we're living in a time right now of inflation and cost increases. And it's a very, very scary time. So I wonder if, if the community invested funds to create the infrastructure that the talented people could be put into, it doesn't mean they won't have obligations and fundraising. I'm, I'm a, a realm of a shul and I have enormous fundraising responsibilities. I've taken them on myself or they've been imposed, whatever it is, but not to suggest somebody doesn't have any fundraising, but maybe we need to build it so that they will come. A hundred percent. Look, either we have to change the attitude like Chabad because they're vying for these professions and nobody's throwing any money at them. They're just willing to do it. 
if we can't affect that kind of attitudinal change, then I guess we have to do what you just suggested, which is create more of an infrastructure that will still require the fundraising, the, excuse me, the outreach professional to fundraise, but it won't be this Herculean feat of like, you know, where it's just, it's keeping people from coming in. And it's, it's a problem because the number one problem I have to this day is not money. It's finding the right people. Now, some of that is a function of money, but finding the right people, because you know that if you, you, you get a superstar, it's it. You get a schwachemeister. That's it. Not so. it, it. Now, and you could train. That's it. You could train <laughs> and you could develop. And we've been doing that. And I've been blessed with incredible, incredible people. Listen, I want to give a lot of a car to my, my parents, my father, you should live and be well, because I, I did go the route. I was, I went to law school. I worked within law and he continued to support. And it's easy for me to look down at other people and say, why don't you do the same thing? But I had a very supportive family that was willing to do this. And I had also some inroads in the modern Orthodox community. I was a rabbi KJ, I was a rabbi OZ. I already had some, some connections. It's not simple for the typical why you must to just jump into this. Mm. But if we don't change either attitudinally and give it the prestige that Chabad does, or we don't pump in that cash, then we are not going to make the impact we can. I want to give you the counter argument now, and then I want to go back because we're already deep into this amazing conversation. We have not even yet spoken about um, your own story and your journey and how you got here. But I want to give you the counter argument for a minute with respect and with love. What, what would you say to someone who says, you know, we shouldn't build the infrastructure and pump money in to the outreach. It's important. But in any business model, you know, there's a cost of acquiring new customers and then there's customer retention. They're right. saying who's already bought in who we need to keep because you know you don't just add new customers you know shul membership too you want new members but how do you keep your members happy that they don't leave so in reach versus outreach we've got a system that we're losing we're losing way too many and yeah. you know i hate the terminologies and labels and being put in a box uh, as much as anyone i feel a, a member of multiple worlds every world is suffering from this maybe segments yeah. of the world more than others but people who are turned off people who are disaffected, people who are walking away. So should we put the same dollar into outreach or put that dollar into inreach? Do we take our greatest talent and say, go 20s and 30s before they get married, convince them Jewish identity matters? Or do we put that talent and say, we've got kids who we've already put half a million, three quarters of a million into through Jewish day school and they're graduating 12th grade, they're going to some secular campus. This is a study that's been done, I won't say by whom, they're afraid to publish it because of how, how frightening the results are. What's happening to kids from Orthodox home who are going to secular college campuses and walking away from observance, in some cases at best, and even intermarriage at worst. So what are we doing? We've got to pump all the money and all the talent into inreach, into retention, into strengthening our existing observant Orthodox community. That's what we need to be working on. What would you answer them? Oh God! Uh, look, you can argue either way. You can argue, and you just made a very powerful argument. Let's put more money. Twelve years of day school, two years in Israel, NCSY Colo, more, 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 more. A, I'm not so sure more money means will make the difference. I think we need to change certain things, and that's for a longer conversation. I think our curriculum in Jewish day schools need to be changed. They're not, in my opinion, hashkafic enough, and they're not. And I think I know your Rebbe, Moshe Weinberger. Um, I think a lot more of that approach needs to be, uh, needs to be woven into the very fabric of 
yeshiva day school education. And until we realize that maybe 20% of our yeshiva day school students are really with the Gemara game. I'm not saying we ditch it, God forbid. It's the staple, but it's not working for so many of them. And I think that's not a money difference. That's not a money difference. Um, it's I also, yeah. it, you have to make changes. We're, we're still operating with the same kind of curriculum. And I think our schools need to change in terms of the way we daven. Our, our davening and needs to be inspirational. Again, I'll point to Rabbi Moshe Weinberger when I go to Ish Kodesh. Um, it, it's just like we have to, I model MGE after Ish Kodesh because that's a shul people continue to flock to for all the right reasons. And we have to change our shuls and we're, and we're still not doing it. We talk about it a lot, but we're not doing it yet. So I don't think throwing more money is necessarily uh, the answer. And I will tell you the other answer from a very just purely Torah perspective. We are not given the luxury of answering this question from a purely business perspective. The Torah commands that we have to go out and try to inspire our brothers and sisters in the ways of Torah Judaism. It didn't say, there's no Rashi, there's no qualification there, except if it costs too much money, or now it's going to come at the expense of some from a Yid who we could keep on the path if we threw an extra few dollars. I mean, and I argued this in Jewish Action, I wrote an article in response to my Rebbe, our Rebbe, Rabbi Jacob uh, J. Schachter, who was arguing that we should be putting more money into the Orthodox to keep them Orthodox. And I said, I, I respectfully disagree. We are putting a crazy amount of money. Listen, when I grew up, okay, I didn't grow up as Orthodox, as the typical modern Orthodox kid, okay? And we just have to recognize the world has changed and many more people are being affected by the outside world through the internet and so on and so forth. I don't think those problems are solved with money. I think we have to have an attitudinal change in the way we raise our children and day school education. And here's the clincher. I'll stop talking. We have to leverage Kirov. And this is what Rabbi Buchold has taught for many, many years. We have to leverage Kirov to turn on modern Orthodox Jews. Blianhar have four kids who are very excited about Yiddishkeit. And I give their mother a lot of credit, number one. And number two, the fact that they grew up with 18 to 20 beginners around their Shabbos table every week. If you introduce your kids at a young age to beginners to Judaism who are coming back to Yiddishkeit and who are choosing to keep Shabbos, choosing to observe kashrut and, and having a hard time giving up shrimp and lobster and are doing it because they see the value in it, that's a game changer for a Jewish day school kid who's rolling his eyes and waiting to get out, you know, to, to do whatever they want to do. And, um, I just think if we mainstream Kirov, we get Kirov in every Jewish household, it becomes part of the education of our own children, we will do a lot better. And we won't have to make that decision of where do we put the money because we'll put it in Kirov, but it's going to work for our kids. You, you, um, you were on the path to be a lawyer, as you mentioned, you were a lawyer, and John Lennon changed your life. <laughs> indirectly, indirectly. How's that? How's that? How's that for a segue? How's that for a segue? <laughs> now, in all seriousness, you know, you have a brother who was the mayor of Englewood. Um, you know, your dad accomplished, and and you should be well representing uh, high-profile people. You were on the path of corporate America or or legal America. You know, maybe you would have been representing Johnny Depp or something today. Who knows in the courtroom? So, and, and something changed. What what changed in you? When did that happen? Why did it happen? How did it happen? How did you how did you give your life to uh, to outreach instead? So it, it actually started with NCSY. Um, Rabbi Broyd mentioned I was a drummer. I am a drummer. And the only gigs the band 
You want to hear a great name for a band? Tohu Vavohu, Chaos and Disorder. <laughs> that was the first band I was in. Who'd you play with? Who was some of the guys? Oh, with? God. Um, Mo Shapiro, Mark Wexler, go sexy Wexy. Uh, we had a whole group. And one of the things that they used to do with NCSY bands was keep them as far away from the kids as possible. And I was in that band and like the band and the kids would never. And I would sit in once in a while in shul. I would they would take out a bunch of kids from shul, like, you know, on the Shabbat tones, bring them into some like shul coat room. It was always in a coat room for some reason. And like there'll be a dozen kids and somebody would give like a little talk about tefillah. And I would always listen. I'll be like, that was pretty good. I thought I could do a little better. But I was the I was the slimy drummer in the band. I was like the guy you would not, you know, not because of me. That's just that was the culture of the NCSY with the bands. I think they cleaned that up uh, years, years ago. <laughs> OK, so um, there was one guy, Mark Cohen, who I'll never forget. And uh, Mark Cohen was the head of Central East NCSY. And um, he comes over to me in shul and he says, I want you to teach the kids in the coat room. I said, what do you want me to teach the kids what? He goes, talk to them about tefillah. I said, I didn't prepare anything. I said, I don't care. Just talk to them about tefillah, go in the courtroom. And then I was like, okay. I went with like a dozen kids into a courtroom. <laughs> and we talked about what it means to dive and to pray. I was in Wayu at the time. I was in college. And then the next time he put me up in front of a shul, we were in Columbus, Ohio. And he just literally gave me five minutes. He said, talk, I want you to say something. And he just kept sticking me up there. And not only when I was behind the drum set, but, and I started to feel like this is resonating with me. And when I was in Smich and YU, which I only really went to, to learn because my Rebbe, uh, you should live and be well, Raparnas, um, I, I loved Raparnas and I was in a shear and I didn't want to leave the shear. YU didn't let you just float around. So I had to, I did the Chavra program to stay in the shear for another year. And then the only thing left was smicha. I had no interest in being a rabbi. I was already in law school. I was also enrolled in a master's degree in Colombian international affairs. I had all, I was going to save Soviet Jews. I was going to go into my father's firm, immigration, international law. I worked for Senator Moynihan, Congressman Gary Ackerman. I had a whole thing going. But then <laughs> I started a beginner service, just like you run, Robert Royd, a beginner service in the Queens Jewish Center to just be Yotze my uh internship requirement for yu i wasn't going to do it but they said you got this far in smicha just do it and i started a beginner's minion and i remember i plastered 108th street yellowstone boulevard queens boulevard in my neighborhood with flyers i called this guy every Buchwald on the phone this is 1991 okay and i said i'm going to start a beginner's minion i have no idea who's going to come eight Jews showed up i can tell you all their names Eight Jews showed up and I just got bitten. And everything I was doing in the law, international affairs, I finished my law degree. I worked for a couple of firms. It was just, it, it was fine. But this was like amazing. This was like, I, I just got bit and I just wanted to do it more and more. And uh, I just figured the world, the Jewish world could probably do without one more Jewish attorney. But maybe if we could grab hold to, you know, and I want to give credit to my Rebbe, um, Rabbi Joseph Grimblad, who was the rabbi of my shul, Zechon Alavracha, who was a big Talmud Chacham and a big Baal Machshava. He had a big influence on me and he mentored me for those few years. And then I got a call from out of the blue from this rabbi 
Schachter, who called and asked if I would teach a class at the Jewish Center. This is now 1995. Uh, for non-Jewish Center members. And, um, uh, and he would pay me to teach like a basic Judaism class at the Jewish Center. Um, I met my wife, by the way, in that class. Uh, I did not date her while she was in the class. I want to make that clear for the record. Um, by the way, <laughs> be a great story if you did. It's okay. It wasn't. It's not like it was high school. <laughs> um, you know, I asked my rebbe at the, one of my rebbeim at the time. I was like, "What do you think?" He's like, "That's a little beneath industry standard." That's funny. <laughs> what? How many classes is a semester? I said it's eight classes. We're ready three or four. He goes, "So wait for the semester over and then ask her out." She was already becoming observant. So I waited, and like a schnook for the last class, I advertised I'm doing another semester, which she, of course, signed up for. <laughs> and she started dating my best friend, and that was another eight weeks. I couldn't do anything. Anyway, that's all of the story. But that's my trajectory, basically. I got bit, and I would say to anyone um, who really enjoys presenting Judaism and engaging with Jews who are smart, motivated, just not terribly learned or knowledgeable, there's something that we, those of us from a little more of a learned, knowledgeable background, we can gain so much by being engaged with this literally majority of our people that are disconnected. Go ahead, Rabbi Brody. Yeah, I'm just listening to this. This is great. I have so, I, I so Every, many more questions. First of all, where does John Lennon fit in? Oh, God. So I'm an obsessive Beatles fan. So my dad represented John for five years. I met him on my ninth birthday in wow. court. He uh, wished me a happy birthday and told me that I could have my father back now because my dad was basically focused on that case for almost five years. Wow. Um, Do you ever get to play with him? You ever get to sit in on, on the no, drums? I, no, I was a I was a kid, but um, I'm obsessed with all of his music. I had a great, great deal. You know, I actually gave a drusha on this past Rosh Hashanah about Imagine, which if you know the lyrics for Imagine aren't exactly along the lines with our <laughs> outlook on Judaism. Um, I think he was a highly misunderstood personality, but a very, very gifted artist who cared deeply about society and the way things were going and tried to use, you know, his, his popularity to shift things in a way that he thought was appropriate. Not all of which we might agree with, but I think generally speaking, a very, very positive way. Uh, you know, minus the drug, sex, and rock and roll. Well, not the rock and roll. Um, I'm listening <laughs> to our whole conversation and, and you know, fantastic insight. And, and I'm getting a lot. I'm sure our listeners are too. And I'm really curious the feedback for one particular listener. There is a woman who is a member of the greater Jewish community. She's not observant. She's not orthodox. But she's a big, you know, Rabbi Brody fan, Rabbi Moskowitz fan. So she listens to Behind the Bima. And often we get an email and we, we've even met with her and she gave us some feedback because she's tried to have us pivot to direct and to remember that the whole world is not orthodox or observant, doesn't know our lingo and so on. I think we've been, I think we've been fairly careful with that in this conversation to make it accessible and available to anyone to listen to. But I'm wondering when she hears our conversation mm -hmm. about outreach, mm -hmm. outreach, 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 we've got to turn on Jews, we've got to inspire Jews, we've got to educate Jews, we've got to bring Jews to where we are. I know the Lubavitcher Rebbe, for example, was opposed to calling it Kirov because Kirov means I've arrived and let me bring you closer to where I am. You're far away. I'm where you're meant to be. Let me bring you close. He was opposed to that. So yeah. I'm just wondering, will she listen to this and say, 
wow, this is amazing. Three rabbis talking about the future of the Jewish people, caring, connecting, inspiring, lifting. Or will she say, you know, they think they've arrived, they have the only brand, that everyone has to be like them, transform, convert, observe, practice. You know, is it, I don't mean you, Rabbi Wilds, I'm talking to myself. Is it condescending or insulting to the unaffiliated, non-observant two years? Or do they say, wow, this is a whole conversation about caring about me, inviting me, remembering I'm not invisible and finding me. So how do you strike that balance in the outreach world between I love you and I care about you and I'm sharing something special I value with you versus, you know, I've arrived, I'm observant, I'm lucky, I was born into it. You poor intellectual peasant who don't know anything, let me reach out. You know, like, I'm curious your feedback. Right. I, I hate people in the outreach world when they talk about how many Bali Chuvas they made. Not right. one person in particular who talks about that, but uh, and there's a lot of things I don't like about that person. But but there are people who talk about, I made Bali Chuva, I made millions, I made hundreds of thousands, I made thousands of Bali Chuva. That language, I made a Bal Chuva. You would right. never use that language. I would, would never, never use language. Use for, for, first of all, it's not true. It's anybody who's really well acquainted with outreach in Kirov knows that we are at best facilitators. People have to make a choice. We can't do that for them. Okay. And I also, going back to your uh, question before, why are there not enough motivated, uh, talented, modern Orthodox rabbis? I think Rabbi Goldberg, one of the reasons people shy away from Kirov is because of that perception. It hmm. smacks of a certain chauvinistic, we're here and you're over there. Okay, we have to be able to articulate that we are doing outreach for two reasons. We love Torah, we believe in Torah, that's one reason, and we love you. No different than going to a movie that you love, that you think is incredible, and then you go home and you say nothing to your wife about the amazing movie you just saw, that either you didn't like the film or you don't care terribly about your wife. If you love the film and you love your wife, you're going to try to marry the two together. That is it. And, and, and I think at the end of the day, people are excited about that. They're not put off by that. They are put off, as you very aptly put it, by any kind of sense of I'm here and you're here. This condescension of like, I have absolute monopoly on truth. And all you have to do is plug in what I'm saying and you'll be as happy, as fulfilled and as connected to God as I am. We're all on a journey. And I don't just say that. I know that sounds I really believe we're on a journey. And I and I also believe that engaging with people that are less connected is part of our avod of Sashem, not only because of of the obligation to reach out, but also because of the people we meet challenge us in a way that other Orthodox Jews do not. We right. need them to be the best Jewish selves ourselves. And I think if we can communicate that, um, because I'm, I am a little concerned with the direction, the modern, the the more modern part of the modern Orthodox community is very put off by the, they don't like to use the word Kirov. It's engagement. And I'm like, why? Kirov just means getting closer. We're trying to help other people get closer to Yiddishkeit, just like you and I are trying to get closer to Yiddishkeit. We have the benefit of a day school or whatever kind of Jewish education so we can share things other people don't know. That's all it is. It's not implying I'm better, but it is, it is saying something about this information, about this thing called the Torah. But when was the last time we were shy? about saying how awesome Torah was. So you I, know the, I think- You know the story, yeah. you probably used the story about the young man who the Ger Rebbe ran into in Yerushalayim and he said, where are you learning? 
So he named whatever yeshiva was a Balchuva yeshiva. So he told him the name of the yeshiva. He said, But I'm not a Balchuva. Right? And the <laughs> Rebbe looked at him and said, Farvosnisht. And why not? Why aren't you a Balchuva? Farvosnit. Yeah. So, yeah. So exactly. So so that's, you know, Kirov. We're trying to do Kirov on ourselves. Why should we apologize for, for sharing it more broadly than that, too? We can't allow this conversation to go by without mentioning my dear friend, Ezra Kohn, Rabbi Ezra Kohn, one of your great assets. Manhattan Jewish experience, MJE. So I remember I mean, he ran he's, a program. He's, he's an amazing example of talent who devoted. He's been with us for 20 years now. I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm, 20 years. No, he is, he is a talent. He is great and a good friend. I remember him sharing with me a great program that, that he led, that you led, um, MJE in Manhattan. Fiddler on the Roof, on the Roof. That you showed Fiddler <laughs> on the Roof, on the Roof. So tell, tell our listeners, let's, let's try to close out. What are some of the creative programs? How do you engage 20 and 30 professionals they could be at a bar at a club um they could be you know professional networking they could be at home with direct tv what kind of programs do you run what are some of the creative i've seen some of your great videos the video the rocky video yeah the videos that was the greatest i mean i i I mean i love that you love my rocky video because i take a lot of pride in that no but every scene was perfect like i know rocky i know like when you (laughs) when you wiped your mouth with the egg i know that scene I, um, by the way, the egg kept gelling up in the shell <laughs> when I was trying to fake drink it because I would never, it was orange juice with a little water. Um, you know what? Number one powerful experience and the whole outreach world realizes years ago and was bringing Jews to Israel. Number one, Israel. There's just something, anything you do in the diaspora, I hate to say it, anything you do in the diaspora smacks a little of talking about Judaism as opposed to feeling it itself. Um, so Israel is just high, you know, ranks very, very high. I think music, um, I think also marrying whatever Torah with what's contemporary. My son is very into meditation and um, music, and he does these musical meditations. It's really catching on now. A lot of young people are getting into and already into meditation. If we can demonstrate how Judaism and through tzvila has, has is into this, and this is a path into Torah, into Yiddishkeit. Shabbos has never been easier to sell. Hmm. In, in, in the 25 years I've been doing Kirov, outreach, whatever you want to call it, Shabbos, this detox to put the phone down. You know, years ago, I sounded like old fashioned. Now I'm like sounding progressive because everybody's looking to sort of chill out from the craziness of technology. Um, I'm not giving you the coolest, craziest things. I mean, I would say Israel, Shabbos dinners, classes, social events, ski retreat. We've been doing ski retreats for a long time. I love them because you marry skiing with Judaism. And if you could take like the jacket off and just like chill out on the slopes and literally teach a class on a, on a ski slope or at a lodge around a fire, it just brings everything down. It just, we, our guard is, is down, their guard is down. We're looking at each other, we're talking, we're connecting. Shabbos meals, I want to say it again before we finish here, as many of your Balabatim, Rabbi Goldberg, Rabbi Broid, that we can inspire to invite to a Shabbos meal because the fanciest, most sophisticated and expensive videos and programs will never compete with the beauty of a family sitting down to have a Shabbos meal. And that was Rabbi Noach Weinberg, Zechron of Rachas, mentioned it before, Awake the Sleeping Giant. Who's the Sleeping Giant? It's not the cure of professionals. It's not the rabbis. It's the typical Joe Jew keeping Shabbos, living a life of Torah and mitzvot. How can we bring 
everyone into this. That's mm. how we're going to affect the masses. Rabbi Mark Wilds, founder, director, MJE. You are 100% right. There are enough Jewish lawyers out there, but what would the world look like? In case any of our listeners wonder, is Rabbi Wilds really in Manhattan? Does he really live in Manhattan? Does he work in Manhattan? Are we faking it? sound effects. There were sirens the entire oh. interview. So he is definitely in Manhattan. He's not in some studio. It's not a fake background. He is not only in Manhattan, he is transforming Manhattan. Rabbi Wilds, thank you for giving your time. Thank it you for my your honor, pleasure. And I thank I you for being a pioneer. Thank you for being out front, really? being Moser Nefesh for this, because, you know, from our community, our Hevra, you are a pioneer in doing this. You've paved the way. You're doing it with tremendous success. You've hired lots of people and got them started on their career in this way. So you've, you've made a huge, huge difference. And uh, Jewish people are much richer for it. Thank you. And we will keep copying you. Every <laughs> well, I, I, I hope other shuls will copy you because you said at the beginning, how many shuls have an outreach director on staff? not a lot. It takes a real commitment. You've made that commitment, Rabbi Goldberg, and you've had a colleague for many years who's awesomely talented, and you should Your both know Mechai Lechai. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Wow. Talk to me, Rabbi Brody. What, uh, what struck you about that conversation, that interview? What's, what's your takeaway? Well, first of all, I just got an email. NCSY mourns the passing of Rabbi Pinchas Stopler who was yep. a pioneer, a trailblazer in the yep. world of outreach. And unfortunately, just saw that he passed away. So it's, we've mentioned NCSY a number of times tonight. Yes, the world of outreach is set back. I'll tell you a story. First of all, our fact checker uh, did correct me. They were not um, jellyfish. They were starfish. The story of throwing one back in, it mattered to them. Starfish. Yeah, I don't think you could throw back a, a jellyfish. Okay, like I, you know, like, I, I noticed like, you didn't correct like me. Jello. I know I'm, not gonna, I'm never going to correct you. No, let's, let me, you, let me where were you? Let where me tell you? you the rule. I am a supporter. I don't challenge anything. I go along with, you know what? I support my brother. Whatever he says, I go along with. Listen to the story about Rabbi Stolper. Rabbi Pinchas Stolper, NCSY, pioneer of Kirov. So on Wikipedia, listen to the story it has. Stolper attended Yeshiva's Chaim Berlin due to an interesting sequence of events. A few short years after the Holocaust, then mayor of New York, Vincent Impelitary, invited a German soccer team to City Hall and honored them with a reception. The pain of the Holocaust still fresh, Stolper felt it his duty to stand up and protest what he considered a serious affront to the memories of six million. He and 12 other people gathered to distribute leaflets and throw rotten tomatoes at the mayor, his entourage, and the German soccer team. The reception was ruined and Stolper was arrested. Stolper's picture was splashed on the front cover of the Daily Mirror as well as many other papers. The following day, Rav Huttner was eating breakfast with Rav Chaim Feuermann and was perusing a copy of the Daily Mirror. Rav Futner pointed to the picture of the then 18-year-old Pinchas Stolper and said, this young man has chutzpah. We need him in our yeshiva. From that event, Stolper was enrolled in Yeshiva Chaim Berlin and became one of the central Talmudim of Futner, dedicating his life to disseminating Rav Futner's Torah to the world. Wow. Isn't that a great story? I love stories like that. I love that. Great story. But you, you know, you asked me what did I think about that interview. You know, you, at the beginning of the interview, there was some point where, where Rabbi Wild said how, you know, he's got 300 plus Shaduchim that have come about because of what he's done. And you asked him for statistics, how many have he, you know, has he made a dent? And you start thinking about it, it came up Rabbi Akiva, right? Rabbi Akiva ended up losing 24,000 Talmudim, 24,000 students. And now he has five more. Five more becomes the future of the Jewish world. Right. So you never know. You don't, you don't, don't talk about numbers. Don't worry about numbers. We've got to do it. We got to do our job. You know? It's true. 
I hear that. We do our job. Do as much as we can. Yeah. Just want to enhance of Hashem anyway. But... Well, that conversation, I became pumped about behind the beam again because I, you know I, I know we're back. <laughs> I just I hope it's a place that there's meaningful conversation. It's not right. only entertaining or interesting, but it's meaningful. It challenges you to think and leave your comfort zone. Uh, and I think we had such a conversation. I hope everybody is moved to listen to this challenge or by Wilds put out there, which is invite people to your Shabbos table, open right. up your home, be part of the difference. Inspire Don't be afraid. Your inspire others. You, yeah. They want to meet you. They're not they're, right. they're not gonna scream at you and they're not gonna yell at you. They they, yep. they can't wait to see you. Yep. Yeah. I'll say my favorite part of the interview. I'm curious whether any of those watching saw it was the fly that kept landing on my nose. <laughs> <laughs> It's going to end up, someone's going to grab it. It's going to become, it's going to be a meme or a, a meme GIF or whatever right. those things are called. It's going to be somewhere. I don't right. know. This fly has been following me for like three days. <laughs> it's in my office. It's been coming to every sheer I give. And I it just it. buzzes and sits on the mic and lands on my nose. It's the a Gilgo. It's got to be a reincarnation of something, someone. Right. Yeah. I don't know why it's, uh, but this fly but you, is just following you know, when, me, tracking me. When you mentioned that Shabbaton you're just at with uh, 600 energized college students, you just imagine, like, maybe we're not giving them a platform in our own communities. Maybe they are working with teenagers and they're doing the thing with NCSY. But give them more opportunities. If they're here, if, they're, if they belong to your shul, let them light up our shuls. Let them right. do it. Let's pay them right. something. Let's give them something. And, and I think we've got to challenge them. I don't know if they're going to knock on our door on their own, but we can actually look for leaders, try to find right. those, those qualities and and try to, you know, teach them and lead them and, and, and seed the community and the Jewish future with the people plant a right. seed in ideas that this is a career. It can be a beautiful thing, but I really think the takeaway from tonight, you, you know, you're an outreach professional, but wilds is an outreach professional. I'm a Jewish professional, but the takeaway from tonight is not about us or we professionals. It's about you. It's about lay exactly. people, about volunteers. It's about the doctor and the lawyer, the biggest impact on, on outreach. And this is true in our community too, with all that you and Simone do, but, it's the doctor and the lawyer and the accountant, yeah. the business person. It's the it's the you know stay at home mom or the or the dad or retiree who has that relationship, who learns, who fills in a class. who's not getting paid for it. It's not a career out of it, right. but who cares about it? That's I'm uh, telling you, we could change the world. One one man, one woman learning Torah with one man and one woman. That's it. That could change everything. It's what do we have eight hundred thousand. Jews I had a meeting, I had a meeting last can... week with a beloved new member, and yeah. I won't say his name. I don't want to embarrass him, but he moved in a year ago, and he called the shul because he needed a mezuzah, and he didn't yeah. know who to call, and someone said, call BRS. As a result, I think we give those calls to you. You spoke to him. You invited him. Oh, Paul? He, yeah, we're not saying who. Okay. And he's been, come, he's been coming every Shabbos since. And every Shabbos. He, he met with me last week, and, and literally with a tear coming out of his eye, he said, I've never had a Rebbe. Will you be my Rebbe? It's a beautiful moment. Yeah. And he's here, he's engaged, and he loves it. And he's found a community at home. Sleep. Can't sleep All because great. he called because he needed a mezuzah. He wasn't observant. Yeah. Yeah. And now he found. I want to tell you also, I'll tell you the story he told me. And then it's getting late. But I'll tell you the story. Um, there's a live show, by the way. Live. Anyone who challenges that? Live. It's late. You want, what do you want to know? Scoring the Heat game, the Yankee game. It's a live show. I can 57 prove 51. We're down <laughs> six <laughs> points. I can prove. There you go. Evidence that we don't have sirens here in South Florida, but we do have the Heat. Right, AJ's watching the heat game. So, um, so he said, you know, he hasn't known what to come to. He's intimidated. He's not observant. This isn't his world. It's not his background. He said to me, he goes, you know, whenever you give an example that our shul is such diversity, you could have a guy in a strimal sitting next to a guy who drove to shul. He's like, how do you know? You're talking about me. <laughs> I'm the guy. I'm the guy he's who drove. Guy. Anyway, so we, we advertised and marketed. We had a beautiful night with Ramosha Weinberger, 
and we partner with Nachi Gordon Meaningful Minute people and inspiration, whatever, and we and we streamed it for the world. And it was it was a great event. You remember that Fabrengan shoot was packed, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands. It was packed. We had live music. It was an amazing, amazing night. Amazing right? night. So so that friend of ours, you may have mentioned his name. He came to it. He wasn't sure should he come, not come, not in his comfort zone, not in his experience, but he came and he sat in the back, kind of you know, watching part of it, but on the on the border of it, on the margins of it. And if you remember of Weinberger that night spoke all about the people in the back. Yeah. Not giving up on the Jews in the back, caring about the people in the back, future of Judaism of the people in the back. I would have been the in the back. He finished speaking and the music started playing. And, you know, everybody on the beam, you lock arms and you're dancing and you got the candles and you're rocking and rolling. And then all of a sudden, Weinberger realized, I just spoke about the people in the back. Do you remember this? He came down from the beam. He ran to the back. He ran to the back. Right. So, so our friend told me, he goes, he ran to the back and he held my hand. I wasn't sure if I should come that night. And the next thing you know, I'm holding hands and dancing with Ramosha Weinberger. So those are these little moments. Like, Can I tell you, know, you something amazing? Part two of that story, I just got a, yeah. a message from from Talia, right? Not many shows yeah. have an engagement director, right? right? Membership engagement. There's someone new that had contacted me that's moving to the community. Also, a, call it a beginner, right? Someone that's looking to, to, to come to our community and really wants to begin their journey. So she reached out to him today. And um, she's like, I'm telling that guy that you were just talking about to connect with him to let him know how 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 easy the entry can be. It's so, a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful yeah. thing. Thank you again to our dear friends, the Strausses, for sponsoring. Thank you to see Predator, who did not want to sponsor. <laughs> it's, it's possible that Seth Grossman has been texting me the entire night that he wants to come to shul or come on or be interviewed. And uh, we're not allowing that. He's going to have to. Pay to play, baby. Just Seth, to pay to 500 bucks or whatever it is. No, it's less than that. It's a bargain. It's a discount. Pay to play. No problem. He pay can be out again. He's got I would love to see him. Seth wants back on. And to hear the two Seth Grossman stories from Rabbi Brody. I got two very special. Let me just tell no, you. No, no, no. no I can't even give you, a, give you a little no. teaser. No, not yet. It's a, a little teaser. Won't give a, teaser. Won't I'm not going to tell you what happened. Let's just say that I, I wasn't married to Simone and I wanted to hang out with her for Shabbos. Seth enabled it to happen somehow i, I gotta tell you how it happened okay well we're not giving him that satisfaction but anyway <laughs> um sign up for the one and one please 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 can make an enormous difference give a dollar a day and learn a minute a day partnering with daily giving That's uh amazing. for esti moskowitz brsonline.org slash one and one brsonline.org slash the number one a n d one one and one Sign up to do both. Great merit for her. Please, God, we should hear great things. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. We're back and we're better than ever. Until next time, stay happy, stay healthy, stay holy. Thank you for listening to Behind the Bima. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you next week for another peek Behind the Bima.